would please remain standing. Now let's pray uh, as we, a prayer of illumination as we dive into God's word this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you again and just ask that as we look at your word this morning and study it, we ask, Lord, and we know that it is profitable for instruction, uh, for correction and reproof, and we know that it is effectual to us by your Holy Spirit. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in our lives and in our hearts this morning to apply your truth uh, to us. And we ask this in your Son's name, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Men, well, our text this morning comes from Philippians 4, uh, verses 10 through 20. Hear now God's word. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Now that at length you have revived your concern for me, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him, Who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. All right, you may be seated. Well, this morning we come, and this may be a familiar text. I think at least uh, the verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, is familiar to us, but it was also a text that was familiar to Horatio Spafford as well. He was a well-to-do Chicago uh, real estate and businessman in the mid to late 1800s. He was married to his wife, Anna, and they had five children. Uh, This Christian family, I would say, was quite content, both materially and spiritually. But then tragedy struck. In 1871, their youngest son died from pneumonia. And then in 1871, also, the great Chicago fire destroyed his business. But by God's grace, in the next two years, his business had a revival. They recovered from the fire, and the business began to thrive again like a phoenix rising from the ashes. Now, of course, it was prime time for a family vacation. Uh, it, It would also be good for Anna's health to go on vacation, so they decided to head for Europe. Well, at the last minute, a zoning issue came up for Horatio, and so he 
had to remain in the United States while his wife, while his wife and children uh, headed for Europe. So her and their four children left for Europe. But four days into the trip, their ship struck an iron sailing vessel, and it started to sink. Anna prayed that God would give them in that moment strength to endure whatever happened, that his will would be done. That day, their four children drowned in the waters of the Atlantic, and Anna narrowly escaped. She sent a telegram to her husband once she arrived in Europe, and it said, Saved alone, what shall I do? Horatio immediately went to Europe, and as his ship passed over the waters where his children drowned, he penned this well-known hymn, It Is Well. Horatio's soul was content in Christ. He learned what he wrote, Whatever my lot Thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. And we just sang that song together, but that shows you a little bit of the contentment that Horatio uh, had to learn in his life. See, pen that. And I think perhaps this summarizes Paul's words here that we find this morning uh, in the text. Paul, without his own request, was no stranger to learning contentment. Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians, likely from a Roman jail uh, in Rome, and he was bound by chains. Uh, the prison, now we think of an American prison uh, with some of the pleasantries. Yes, I would call them pleasantries compared to a uh, first century Roman prison, uh, which was dug into the earth. Uh, part of that was to have a darkness that emulated Hades uh, or hell, They were filthy, they were overcrowded, filled with disease and lice, uh, and they slept on hard ground. It was noisy, you didn't have individual cells, everyone was in there. And prisoners were executed daily as well, through beatings or poisoning, uh, bleeding out and torture. And again, I know that is quite graphic, but this was no ideal place to be in prison, Now, Paul was able to have visitors and to practice his faith. Uh, And so he sang hymns and he sang songs in prison. He preached the word to his fellow prisoners and he exuded joy as well. His soul was content, even in the vilest of circumstances. So Paul is writing here to the church in Philippi to give them hope, to give them joy, and to encourage them. He was thankful for their generosity. They had done much to support him. And as I mentioned earlier, these Christians in Philippi, they were not coming from a place of abundance. In fact, they had a general lifelong poverty. They were in deep poverty, sometimes lacking uh, food and water. And this means that their gift to Paul sometimes could mean lack of those things as well. And so that's when Paul, when we read in 2 Corinthians 8, that they went beyond their means to support him. He's commending uh, their generosity. And so our text this morning is taking place at that intersection of Paul's afflictions that he's going and through and enduring and the deep poverty that the Philippians Exist in. And so this is where Paul is speaking of this 
secret. We all like secrets, right? It's the secret of a manner of life that flourishes in poverty and prosperity and sickness and in health. And so he's sharing the secret of what a contented soul in Christ looks like. And that is the secret. Here it is. Jesus is the source of our strength and our supply. That is the secret Paul is communicating in all circumstances. And so this morning we're going to look at that in two ways. First, personal contentment, what that looks like, what Paul did to learn that. And then secondly, partnered contentment, what it looks like together as the body of Christ. So this first one, personal contentment. First, Paul learned contentment. And again, this is key. He learned contentment in the school of poverty. Paul is deeply thankful for their material concern. And that's primarily what he's focusing on here is their material concerns. Their gifts have helped provide his basic needs, literally food and water and clothing. But still, that's not the point. Look at verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Paul has learned, meaning he didn't come to this one day and wake up, wow, has learned. There's been a process, a journey to learning what contentment looks like. And I think Paul here means that life is the playground for learning contentment. Remember his prison condition. Those were not optimal by any means. And at many points in his ministry, he endured actual hunger, thirst. He was shipwrecked. He lacked basic needs many times. So this is, this is no chump when it comes to understanding what poverty means. In fact, that's what poverty means here, lack of what is essential. And in verse 12, when he says, I know how to be brought low, he doesn't mean missing Starbucks for a few weeks in order to, you know, buy bread. His very life at times hung in the balance. What is more here, I think, is that Paul counts this idea of being brought loan of learning, he counts this as a mercy of God. In poverty, he has learned how to face any trial in life. Life cannot disquiet his tranquil soul before God. How beautiful it is, Paul says, to rest at the feet of Jesus. Now, at the same time, Paul also was in another school, uh, the text shows us. He was in the school of prosperity. Look at verse 12. It says, And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So here, Paul is showing that he's been in deep poverty, but he's also experienced prosperity as well. And he's learned both of these things and everything in between. Now, just to put a corrective lens on this, Paul's prosperity here isn't anything, uh, isn't anything like middle-class America today. We're talking about his basic needs being met, uh, and literally it means well-fed, 
So he has no uh, needs for the basic. He is prosperous in those moments. But it's still something that he had to learn. Now, I think there's an irony here. Uh, One may think that contentment is easy in the midst of prosperity. I think we would all argue that point initially. You have all you need and more, so contentment is easy to come by. But I think herein lies the great danger. Material abundance can lead to spiritual poverty. In prosperity, we can feel self-sufficient, and prosperity can insulate us from our real needs. More stuff leads to a feeling of entitlement, and then discontentment is at our doorstep, doorstep whenever we feel like we deserve more. C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters uh, actually says when the senior demon Screwtape, he's writing to this young, uh, you know, brand new, in a sense, tempter demon, he gets his first human to tempt, he says, prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that he is finding his place in the world, while really it is finding its place in him. Lewis is capturing this idea of the burden of prosperity. One must work diligently to stay enrolled in the school of prosperity. We need Christ in prosperity just as much as we need him in poverty. Now finally, Paul turns then and pivots to the master of the schoolhouse, the one whom is the source of his strength. In verse 13, Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Ah, we've come to the verse that is well known. Uh, and this is an excellent tagline. Uh, it's postcard worthy, I would say. Uh, it's on many postcards, Hallmark. Uh, maybe it's our verse that we go, hey, it's the foundation of how I'm going to start my business. I can go play Major League Baseball because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, But hold on. Let me correct some distortion here. This verse does not mean that Christ will enable us to do anything that we set our mind to go do. We cannot invoke the power of God to go do what we desire to do. Rather, for Paul, it's the culmination of his thought, meaning that for any circumstance that we face in life, hunger, prison, delicacies, prosperity, poverty, Christ provides the requisite strength to accomplish his purposes in us. Christ is the source of our strength in poverty and in prosperity. Thus, regardless of your material state, Small house, large house, big paycheck, small paycheck. Jesus' grace meets us daily. His power is made perfect in our weakness. Indeed, that is why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. It literally means the bread that we need to eat today. You see, God gave the Israelites their daily bread in Exodus 16, and their discontented soul continues 
as we saw in Exodus 17. They exact a charge against God. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? God just rescued them, delivered them from Egypt. Why would he not also provide for their basic needs? Our strength is Christ, not our lot, not our stuff. And this is where the rubber meets the road. Regardless of your lot in life, do you daily seek Christ as the source of strength that you need this day, every morning? It's kind of like a bottle. When a glass bottle is full and you tap it, There's little, if any, noise that comes from that bottle. Now, if you take an empty bottle and you tap it, it makes quite the racket. Anything but fullness in Christ will produce heart noise. Discontentment will make a lot of noise in our lives. So we need to fill ourselves with the source of strength, Jesus Christ. Well, I deployed in 2019, and before I deployed, uh, we were in material abundance, meaning uh, we had a home on post, uh, we were well-fed, I could order any coffee beans I want uh, and brew whatever coffee I want. Uh, We had our daily bread, we had clothes to wear, there was no issue. Uh, We were physically safe on post as well. Life was, uh, you know, pretty simple and easy for the most part. So I learned abundance in this situation. Well, then in February, I deployed to Afghanistan, and all I could take were essentially two tough boxes. Uh, So whatever I could pack in a tough box would go on the plane, and those are my material needs for the next six months. Now, I was like, wait, that's not enough. Well, there's no option. That's what I was allotted. Uh, So I went from a life of plenty to a life of austerity. And where I was in Afghanistan was not uh, the great city of Bagram. Uh, It was uh, a small fob uh, south of Kabul, about 30 minutes. And uh, it was actually affectionately uh, termed Rocket City. Uh, It was a place that received the most uh, rockets from the Taliban uh, almost daily. But it was in this moment... uh, that I actually was more content. And that's an odd thing because all I had were, it was very simple, what was in these tough boxes. But I physically was not safe. Anytime the alarm went off, I would hit the ground and pray and shout and say, Jesus, save me. But I was content in those moments knowing that whether that rocket would strike near me or I would live to the next alarm, that I was content in Jesus because my soul was rescued by Christ. And so all the stuff that I had, even in those two tough boxes, kind of became in the peripheral and then eventually passed out of vision. I learned in those moments of austerity and those moments of fear when the rockets came, whatever my lot Thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. 
And like I said, ironically, I was more content in Afghanistan in a way than I was in El Paso. Uh, Because in El Paso, it was easy. We had all of our needs met, but it was easy to become discontent. Well, we're in the desert. I don't really like the desert. Uh, You know, we're struggling with community. We have a lack of community right now. And, man, it takes a long time to drive to get to anywhere. And we would murmur about these things once in a while. But in Afghanistan, I was simply content uh, in the Lord that he saved my life on a daily basis, literally. And why is this so? Why do we experience this irony? Because I believe in abundance, we feel like we deserve better. The more things we have leads us to say, well, I, I should have that. Or when we go without, we feel like we deserve those things. You see, in plenty, our dependence, I think, on time, uh, our dependence upon him at times is dull. But in poverty, our dependence is sharpened. And that's a gift from the Lord. And Paul tells us that we must learn contentment in both situations, in poverty and in prosperity. The Puritan Jeremy Burroughs, I think, gets at this, which I commend to you his book, uh, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. But he is capturing this idea of this is a rare jewel that's hard to come by. But we're encouraged and exhorted by Paul to learn the secret of facing plenty and need, and poverty, and that's Jesus Christ. And so will we use life's playground and learn to say with Jesus in the garden, not as I will, but as you will? So Paul shows us that we must learn Jesus is our strength in poverty. And I, again, think it's hard for us to understand poverty as Paul speaks of it here, because each of us materially has access to food. There are government programs that allow people to have their basic needs met. But this charge also extends beyond the material realm as well. We are impoverished in other areas. Maybe our lot is one of chronic pain. Maybe our lot is one where a relationship that we have hoped would heal over time, has never healed. Uh, Maybe it's a son or a daughter or a friend that's been estranged and you've cried out to God for many years that it would be healed or that they would come to know the Lord. And from your perspective, it doesn't seem like the Lord has answered that prayer. Maybe someone you know has a better job than you and they receive a better wage and so they have more stuff. All of these things don't seem fair to us. Whatever our lot is, these things don't seem fair. But these are all fertile grounds for discontentment to flourish. You see, that's what the Israelites said. Well, when we were in Egypt, we had food and water. But now, it doesn't seem like we have water. So they murmur against the Lord. You see, discontentment is like an invasive weed which will overtake every flower in the garden. 
Once discontentment sets root, the thorns of envy can grow. We cannot murmur against God like the Israelites did. In fact, murmuring against God, being discontent, is much worse than our actual lot that we have that's been given to us by God. And I also want to say it is right for us to ask for lawful release from burdens. If there is an affliction, it is right to ask God that he might ease that affliction. Uh, And it's at the same time proper to say, not my will, but yours be done. You see, Christ has gone before us. He endured every malcontent so that we can rejoice in any and every circumstance. He enables us to cope in both poverty and prosperity. Now, Paul also shows on the flip side that we must learn contentment in prosperity. And this is the greater burden, I believe. In prosperity, there's often a veneer that can cover decay. For those of you in here who are in relative prosperity, rejoice, take delight in God's lot towards you. Those are good. Those are gifts from the Lord. But the danger here is drawing your strength from prosperity. You see, the road to discontentment doesn't happen overnight. We don't wake up one morning and just say, I'm discontent with everything. No, it's like a seed that's planted and it's cultivated and it grows slowly. Prosperity in our lives, just like in the garden, can act as root maggots. The garden looks healthy on the outside. You look out, wow, look at that prosperous garden. But their strength is slowly fading. Discontentment and prosperity is more deceptive and perhaps more difficult to root out. You might recall Job. He was a very prosperous man, righteous man. And the Lord took away everything, his lot, his family, But here is a man who is contented in the Lord. Even his friends gave him bad advice to charge God as the Israelites did. But he would not. Because he essentially said, not as I will, O God, but as you will. And so can we say that same thing? We must remember in prosperity that our needs are more than material. In fact, our greater needs are spiritual, and they've been met in Jesus Christ. So both in poverty and in prosperity, Jesus is the source of our strength. And will you use this strength to learn contentment, whatever your lot this morning? Now then Paul goes on after he speaks of this personal contentment that he has learned. He goes on then to uh, show what it looks like to have partnered contentment in the Lord. And so that's the second idea, partnered contentment. So first, Paul is commending their sacrificial partnership with him. Verse 15 says, No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except for you only. 
the Philippian church shared in Paul's ministry. And while there were a few affluent individuals in the church, this was a very poor church. These people could barely meet their own needs. They had deep poverty, and this was not like a uh, moment in time, but they subsisted in this deep poverty for most of their life. So their giving to Paul was sacrificial. They didn't give out of their abundance. They gave because Paul needed help. They literally gave beyond their means. And, and even more than this, when it mentions Epaphroditus, you know, you couldn't wire money in those days or, hey, let me send a check through the mail. No, Epaphroditus delivered the collection of the saints to Paul, and this was a harrowing journey. In fact, he almost died to give this money to Paul. So this was very sacrificial, not only in giving the gift, but in delivering the gift to Paul as well. But they wanted to follow the Christ pattern here. They knew spiritual privation. They knew what spiritual poverty meant, that they have been rescued by Christ, that Christ has regarded our helpless estate, and they gave out of the abundance that they have in Christ, the supply that they have in Christ. And Paul says that they were laying up treasures in heaven, the the fruit which increases to their credit. Now, Paul is also commending their selfless partnership. Uh, this, though this gift was meant that some of Paul's uh, needs were met, uh, the Philippians gave it without a quid quo pro uh, type of mentality. They expected nothing in return. And this was not the culture at the time. If you gave a gift, it was expected that you would get something in return, maybe not materially, but that you would gain some sort of favor or power. And so for the Philippians to give without expecting anything in return, this was very selfless on their part, not only from a financial and material standpoint, but from a societal standpoint as well. And that's why Paul graciously writes to them, I have received full payment and more, I am well supplied. And he's exhorting them to send no more, in part because he doesn't want the society, the culture to view this relationship as he's gaining some sort of advantage over them, taking advantage. Um, but he also does not want to burden the people any further. Uh, because they gave beyond their means, and he didn't want them to go on another dangerous journey to deliver the collection. Now, this Philippian church is quite the contrast, I would say, to Jonah. God called Jonah to go to Nineveh to proclaim the word, and uh, then he snuck into a ship and tried to escape, and said, hey, you got to throw me overboard. I'm the one disobeying God goes in deep fish, but then we, we read, it displeased Jonah exceedingly that he was angry. And even when God provided the plant for shade, and then God appointed a worm to destroy the plant, 
Jonah was angry about the plant, but God was pitying the souls of the Ninevites. Jonah was resentful for what God had called him to do. He was discontented, but the Ninevites, we read, repented before God. We are called to selfless partnership in the gospel, and this leads to partnered contentment. Now, in verse 19, Paul points to the source of all supply. It, he, he writes, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Though the Philippians did not expect anything in return, God ensured that their every need would be supplied for. And Paul reminds them, though you gave out of poverty, my God will supply your needs to his glory through his riches in Christ Jesus. This is the source of all supply the riches that are in Christ Jesus. And again, if God, out of his abundance, sent his only son to die in order to supply our spiritual need, our helpless estate to rescue us, how will he not also then provide what we need to subsist daily? Matthew in chapter 6, writes about the birds of the air. He provides a place for them to sleep. The flowers of the field he clothes. How much more does he care for you? That he is mindful of us. His care for you is for his own glory. The The supply of your need is in his interest. And since God has promised to supply our every need, we are free to help supply the needs of others as well. This is what partnership in the gospel looks like. Now, finally, from a personal and partnered perspective, Paul then offers a song of contentment to the Lord. He closes this little section in verse 20. It says, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now there's no bifurcation between verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and to him be glory. Christ's strength enables personal contentment and at the same time partnered contentment as well. Because Christ meets our needs, we can meet the needs of others, and then others' needs meet our needs as well. That's the beauty of what Paul is saying here. When we give generously, it's not at our own expense. And that's why Paul offers this doxology. The economy of Christ is beautiful. God is content in the Trinity, and from this God's strength, God strengthens us to a personal contentment in Him. And it's from this place of personal contentment that we are free to furnish others in order that we have partnered contentment. And then we can offer this song of praise to Him. And I think perhaps a a sliver to gain a glimpse of what's happening here, I think, is 
maybe even currently, what's happening in Ukraine. Many of you know the uh, Mission to the World Organization uh, that's in the PCA. Well, they have done a lot and they have gone to great extents to help the people in Ukraine, a country, as we all know, that's been decimated by war, uh, an immoral war that's been waged against them, uh, and it's left many people, both Christians and non-Christians, without basic needs, water, food, shelter, clothing. These people may resonate better with what Paul is saying here, but What's beautiful is that in partnered contentment, there's been a wonderful outpouring of support to the church in Ukraine. In the first couple of months, the Mission to the World received over $4 million very quickly to provide for these basic needs. In fact, they have something, uh, now there's an initiative called Crates for Ukraine, where they would label very specifically, here's what we need to deliver to the people, and we need a courier to bring these because it takes too long to mail them. So someone would actually take the journey with these tough boxes, get on a plane, go to Poland, and then it would be uh, transferred from there to its final destination. But this really captures the idea of what Paul is saying. There was a courier, Epaphroditus took the collection and gave it to the gave it to Paul, and now these couriers are giving it so the people in Ukraine can have their basic needs met. And I'm sure many of you have given to that cause, and what a joy, what joy to give to God's church, his purposes, his people, and we can sing a song of contentment that the Lord has blessed us with resources to send to help those in need. And we have a responsibility to steward resources well. And when we do that, display partnered contentment in God to rest of the world. You see, Paul said, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. A a word that the church in Ukraine has expressed. Partnered contentment simply follows Christ, the Christ pattern again. Christ gave the riches of God to us, all of himself, literally on the cross, who were spiritually impoverished. And this is our model for partnered contentment. So what does this look like? Well, selfless supply. First, you cannot be passive in kingdom partnership. Go and seek partnership in the gospel with someone. That can happen outside of material means as well. It can be your time. It can be a commitment to constant prayer for that organization, those people. But we must be active in this. We cannot be passive. Second, I believe that... uh, Sometimes we have a wrong or improper uh, motive or mindset, and I'm guilty of this as well. Uh, Maybe we just give a comfortable amount. Oh, that sounds great. Let me toss 25, 50 bucks towards that cause. You know, that's great. Um, and, And if that's all you can give, great. 
But sometimes we just give what's comfortable. We don't go beyond what maybe we should. Or we do not give uh, because our security net, we, that might push up against the bubble of what we deem as financial security. Or more simply, I will give because in giving, Christ will reward me with more prosperity or abundance. You see, all of these mindsets, these motives, expect something in return from God or others. That's not what Paul is communicating. God never promises prosperity as a reward to us for giving. He desires partnered contentment because it changes our hearts and it tangibly makes his kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And finally, I think also on the flip side, this passage also shows us that it's okay to ask for help. If you are in need, if you have needs, bills that are not being met, it is right and it's proper to seek partnered contentment, to ask the church, ask others for help in your time of need. Because the Lord, again, is seeking partnered contentment for His glory. And what a joy it is to give and receive. Now, Paul also, again, tells us we need to sing a song of supply. Paul assures us that as we sacrificially supply for the needs of others, God promises to supply our needs, both material and otherwise. I want you to take a moment and think about a time when your need was met that was unexpected or in a way that you uh, did not think that it might be met. Maybe a friend helped you with a bill or uh, some yard work or you received a, a promotion or a better job or maybe even your health got better a little unexpectedly or some medicine alleviated pain. You see, in doing this, we are grateful to God. We are singing a song of contentment, of supply and gratitude is the fertile soil for contentment. You see, nothing just happens, contrary to a uh, phrase. God provides for us in ways that we see and that we don't see. Every bit of providence is from God, whether a good providence or a hard providence, whether a good lot or a hard lot, it is from the Lord. And whatever lot it is, it's meant to tune our hearts to praise God. Because we are God's people, His name is attached to us. And again, it's in His interest to supply our needs. His supply to us results in this song of contentment unto the Lord. And when we are content in Christ, we are content to partner with Him and with others. You see, the economy of your life, your material state, isn't determined by your income or your material possessions, 
but by the economy of God, who God the Father sent His only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross in order that we might be rescued. And the Holy Spirit has applied that salvation to us. All of our needs are met in Christ. And since Christ is our contentment and our treasures, we as individuals and partners are content. And in Matthew we read, Jesus comes to this question of ultimate contentment in the garden. He was met with it. Was he content with the Father's will to take the cup of wrath on our behalf? After praying three times, his heart remained content in his Father's will. Nevertheless, not what I will, but as you will. Will you bring your life, your lot in life, whatever it may be, poverty or prosperity, to the place of Christ on your knees and say with him, Nevertheless, not what I will, but as you will. To our God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have furnished us with all that we need in Christ, that you are our source of strength and our source of supply. And I pray that you would encourage us by your words, that you would apply these words to our hearts, Lord, that we might give generously of our entire beings to the purposes of your kingdom. In those moments of plenty, I pray that you would encourage us to do so, along with those moments of poverty as well. Lord, be our strength. Remind us of this through your Spirit. And Lord, to you, our God and our Father, belongs all glory forever and ever. Amen.